Hey, well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Blackhawk Church. Uh, my name is Adam Penning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm the pastor for Blackhawk Church downtown. Downtown. Hey, guys. Miss you guys. Uh, I'm not usually out here, so I know many of you probably don't know me. Uh, but it's fun to be. It's fun to be out here a brighter way. Like there's so many all of our different sites and venues, and I know Fitchburg is watching, and there's people online. It's just cool, actually, when you're part of one of the smaller sites at Blackhawk to see like the bigger community that God has for us together. It's pretty awesome. So for those of you who don't know me, my wife Alicia and I, we have kind of a there and back again story when it comes to life uh, in Madison. Um, actually, on this day, in 2005, we got married. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, look at that. Those sideburns were really cool back in 05. So, and I had a, lot, I had a little bit more hair back then. But uh, my, and honestly, my wife, Alicia, and I, we, she's like a great partner in faith. Like, we've had a ton of different adventures together in the years that we've been married. We lived for 10 years here in Madison. And then God did something crazy in our life. We sold our house in our minivan and we took our three little kids and we moved right into the heart of New York City. And we spent five years uh, living out in New York. And then three years ago, God did something crazy. And he called us back to Madison to serve the downtown Madison area as the Blackhawk pastor for Blackhawk downtown. Uh, and it's so great to be back in Madison. Our life in New York and our life in Madison are very different. Some of you have been to New York and you hate it. You never want to go back. We loved it, right? But we also really love our life in New York. It's kind of like parents, if you have more than one kid, you know how like you love them sometimes because of their differences and you love them equally intensely, even though they're, they're different. And our life in New York and Madison are really different. One of the big ways that life in New York and Madison is different is how people commute, right? Like in Madison, we commute on the Beltline and uh, we ride like, Sometimes ride on bikes. Some people do that, you know? Um, in New York, you commute on your feet and everybody rides the subway. Everybody does it, rich and poor alike. We cram onto the train. And if you've never ridden the subway in New York City at rush hour, it's intense. It's, it's pretty nuts. So uh, the closest thing I can say that I, you can experience in Madison is like Badger game day. You know how like you're leaving Camp Randall or the Cole Center and there's this like flood of humans all pressed in, moving in one direction, trying to get out the building into their cars. It's like that, only you're moving deeper and darker under the city of New York, right? And you finally get to your platform and there's like sometimes hundreds of people who are crowded onto this narrow elevated platform as you're waiting for the train. And the train comes into the station and you look as the windows pass by and you realize, oh my gosh, the train's already full. There's like standing room only. And so you're waiting for like the doors to open and get on and it goes, Bing! and that's when you realize like, it hits everyone for themselves. <laughs> and we like press in, we push in like my kids jam their clothes into their drawers after we fold laundry. You know what I'm saying? We like, we press in, we're in there so tight. It's like really, really uncomfortable. It's not just standing room only. It's like Standing room so you don't have to like hold on. You won't fall over standing room only. And it's hot and it's sweaty and we're grumpy. And if you're like pitting out, you're sort of like, oh, I feel like we should introduce ourselves if we're gonna, <laughs> if we're gonna stand this close together. You know what I'm saying? But the subway like forces us together. It forces us together. And it's really, really uncomfortable. And... Actually, it's really awesome. 
So I loved, I loved that experience. I loved riding the subway because something happens on a train when you're crammed together like that, that happens nowhere else on the world. You see, they say New York City is the most linguistically diverse place on earth. There's over 800 languages spoken. So when you're on that train, man, you see faces of people from every like size, shape, color, right? Culture and humanity all in one train. And if you listen, you can hear languages from all over. You, it's really common to hear like Russian, Arabic, um, Spanish, uh, German, French, you know, like uh, Mandarin, all on a train, all at one time. And then there'd be so many languages you couldn't place because there's over 800 languages spoken in the city. And that just doesn't happen for the most part anywhere else on earth, at least for now. Because the book of Revelation in chapter seven says this, you can open it up if you want, but it says, one day there will be a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the lamb. You guys, believe it or not, the subway is actually a lot like heaven. <laughs> Except New York has nothing on the eternity that we'll someday spend with God, right? Right, but think about this. When we get to heaven, we're not gonna be all just like a homogenous group of angels. We're gonna very much be human. And there will still be like recognizable differences between us. Have you ever thought of that? Like, we'll be able to pick out nations and tribes, peoples and languages as we're worshiping. When we're all together someday in heaven, that's crazy to think about. Someday we'll get there and it's like the doors will be open and we'll be there all together and we'll all be like, hey, we fit, right? And we'll all be so grateful and so glad that we're there, grateful that we can be there together. Someday when we get to this place in the future, talk about, talk about a multi-generational, multicultural community coming together from all over time and from every place around Jesus. This is a supernatural vision of where the world is headed one day when the kingdom of God is fully actualized on the earth. But more specifically, this is a picture of what God's people, what the church will look like one day when we all finally come together around Jesus. But here's the tension. Right now, we don't always experience that, right? Like right now, when we come together, it's sort of like squeezing a juice box, right? Things get messy, you know? Because it's not very easy for us to come together. But this is our final stop. This is our destination, where we're headed. And we believe this will one day happen because something has already objectively happened in the past. You see, we believe that the cross of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, it unites us to Christ. We are all in Christ and we are all in Christ together. Right before Easter, Pastor Charles talked about this quite a bit. It's an incredible truth, a deep bonding truth. Someday we will get to this final destination and we'll experience the beauty and the diversity and the unity of it all together. But right now we are sort of like a community in transit. 
We're making this uncomfortable, our earth, uncomfortable earthly commute together, trying to live in the beauty and the mess of our life as a community together in transit. And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. The beauty and the mess of being in it together across our differences. You see, God is building a multicultural community of people across their cultural and ethnic differences. And we get to experience a taste of that now, even though it's not the final product, right? Well, um, the scripture teaches that God's provision for us to make this earthly commute is the Holy Spirit. We're in a section uh, of our series, of our Live This Book series, where we're talking about the empowered church. We're talking about how God has consistently, from the beginning to the end of the scriptures, been calling people into relationship and into partnership with himself, right? To be his faithful partners in the mission that he has on the earth and how humans, we just keep tripping, right? We keep messing up along the way. And so God finally pours out his spirit on us. Pastor Chris talked about that last week, right? On us as individuals to live the life we've been called to live. And this morning, we're gonna talk about how the Holy Spirit empowers us, not just in our individual lives, but in our corporate life together to be the kind of church that Jesus prayed for, right? That we would be on earth as it one day will be in heaven. And the Holy Spirit is God's provision for us to be able to do that. The scripture says that having believed, oops, woohoo, having believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And then it says, it is the power of God for the salvation. Oh, we gotta go one back. Uh, it is the power of God for the salvation of all those who believe. It is God's power to give us everything we need for life and a godly life. Every believer has been given the Holy Spirit. Ah, there we go, right? Every believer has been given the Holy Spirit and it is our power to live out the life that God has called us to live. And theoretically, right? That, well, not actually, actually that means we have what we need. And so theoretically, it should be awesome when a bunch of Christians come together in our room, right? No, practically it's never been that simple. It's never been that simple, even from the very beginning. Listen, if you think about it, the early church, the very beginning, that first community was a very small, very Jewish prayer group. And they were huddled around after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And they had a prayer. They were praying, come Holy Spirit, come. Because Jesus had promised them, I'm gonna send the Spirit and he's gonna help you do what I've called you to do. And that little Jewish prayer group was praying that prayer. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit showed up. There was like wind and fire, it got crazy. They started speaking in languages they didn't know how to speak and they got courageous. They ran out in the street and started telling people about Jesus and people who didn't speak their same language understood them and they were, people started responding in faith and it was really awesome. It was incredible because this Holy Spirit showed up. But it really quickly got complicated because in a lot of ways, it was like the doors had opened and all sorts of people started crowding into that little Jewish prayer group. You know what I'm saying? And they didn't all speak the same language. They weren't all from the same place and it got complicated. And I can imagine that little group would have been like, hey, this is great. I'm so glad you're here. Um, what if you guys take the next train and we'll ride this train. It'll be more comfortable for everyone and we'll see you when we get there, okay? Right? It would have just been more comfortable, easier to do it that way. But Jesus said, 
I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. There's no other train. There's no other way. We come in unity, in union with Jesus, and therefore we come in union with each other. There is one body. There's one spirit. And St. Peter, the apostle Peter says, um, uh, or in Galatians, actually, it's Paul who says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. I mean, think about that. If you were part of that little Jewish prayer group from the beginning, you would have read those passages, you would have heard that scripture in Revelation, and you would have been like, wow, really? That's, like, that's going to be a little uncomfortable for us to come together. You know, but it was God's plan from the very beginning to bring people of difference together. It was his plan from the very beginning. The scripture says that it was um, uh, God's plan to do that. And for those original believers, it would have been uncomfortable because the way they basically saw the world was in sort of a, a binary. There was a split, a racial binary. They saw the world as ethnically Jewish and then Gentile, Jew and Gentile. It was Jewish people and every other ethnic and cultural group on the whole planet. That's a pretty big bucket to throw the rest of humanity in, right? But this is how they saw the world. And their history was full of a lot of pain, trauma, like slavery with that non-Jewish world, right? And so when those people came in, I imagine they would have been like, oh, they're coming in too? What? Because God's plan was essentially to overthrow, two, overturn 2,000 years of separation, 2,000 years of seeing the world history through this racial binary. God was undoing that. And yet that was his plan. The scripture says the purpose of God um, in him, uh, we are being built together into a dwelling place of God together. And the purpose of God is for us, I think that we got a slide, right? The next one. Okay. Um, the purpose, we're a, little, we're a little ahead. The purpose of God is to bring us together by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, when he brings us together, God does it through the Spirit. So um, in him, we are being built together into a dwelling place. This says this explicitly, by the Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, growing up, most of my Christian life, when I thought about the role of the Holy Spirit in my life, I didn't think about the Holy Spirit being God's provision for us to come together across like cultural and ethnic differences. I thought about things like the fruit of the Spirit. You guys know the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. Those are all good things, right? When I was growing up in my faith, I felt like, oh man, I really need those things in my life. And then you read other passages like in the book of Ephesians that talks about the armor of God. You know, you're supposed to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate, right? You're supposed to do all these things. And in there, there is a sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. And I used to think about that and be think about like the battles, the struggle God had for me to face and for the church to face out in the world. We needed the fruit of the spirit and we needed the sword of the spirit to be able to do that. But I think what I never noticed was in those passages, in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Colossians, the context of those passages, of those books is primarily about Jews and Gentiles coming together. 
See, they needed the fruit of the spirit and the sword of the spirit, not just for the battles that they would face out in the world, but they needed it for the battles they would face trying to come together across their differences. And the Holy Spirit is God's provision for us to be able to do that. It's one of his express roles in our lives. Now, it would have been really hard for them to come together across those differences for a bunch of reasons. One, because they had a whole lot of water under their bridge. There was a lot of history with the Gentile world. The early church would have also struggled for at least three reasons. Two of them uh, come from like psychology and sociology and one comes from the scripture. First, the the psychology behind it is, it's like, it's just really exhausting to try to come together across differences, right? to live in two languages or to live in two cultures. Psychology tells us that our brains work very hard and they are very efficient. They are constantly processing information and trying to conserve energy. Um, And difference is difficult. And so all day long, actually our brains are working to like simplify the world, to break it up into uh, generalizations that the brain can easily process and understand, right? All day long, it's naturally doing that. And so it's just really easy. It's natural for us to, to sort of simplify the world like that. If, you, if, you've, or if you've ever tried to learn a second language as an adult, I know there are some bilingual folks in the room who have, who have done that. It's, a, it's really enriching, right? It's really enriching to learn another language, but it's actually really exhausting too. It's not bad. This cognitive fatigue that we feel is real. It's just exhausting. And then sociology tells us that what happens is uh, we see the world, we simplify the world, and then, um, and then we sort of split and sort. We sort of move towards people that are like us and away from people who aren't like us because it's just easier, right? Um, and we tend then to judge the world that way too. We like people who are like us and we tend to dislike people who aren't like us, right? We maybe will, it's easier to welcome, come on in, people who are like us and they're like, oh, I'm not so sure for people who aren't like us. Or maybe we even see it among them as a threat. Unfortunately, there's just so much research on this. As humans, we're really good at separating and sorting and judging each other. But on top of those natural tendencies in us, we have a deeper problem and it's a problem of sin. See, the scripture tells us that um, the human heart is deceitful above all things and it's desperately sick, right? And that the, hum- the desires of our hu- flesh, of our human nature, they are against the des- desires of the spirit. And so because of this like struggle, this brokenness in our heart, right? Our human nature, our flesh sort of takes those natural tendencies uh, and it wields it in our relationships like a pry bar, Right? That it gets jammed into relationships and communities and it uses it as leverage to pull us apart. The spirit of God wants to bring us together, but our natural tendencies pull us apart. It's just so easy to sort, and separate and judge. And when sin gets in there, man, our history is littered with all sorts of pain and difficulty. And for the early church, this Jewish divide, there was a struggle between the human nature and the spirit of God in their community, in the early church. Now, 
I think for most of us today, I don't know if anybody struggles with like, you know, like the Jew-Gentile divide in their own heart. I haven't gotten emails or concerns about that, right? But I think if we're honest, most of us have, we've been conditioned in different ways to see the world and to see people and things because of this. As Americans, we're probably more likely to see the world as like black and white, Asian, Latino, indigenous. We're more likely to sort and separate based on categories of like citizenship or language. It's not just us. You could travel the world and you will find this anywhere in the world where you see more than one cultural and ethnic group trying to share space together, living in proximity together. It's just really hard and really natural. The early church had their categories of Jew and Gentile, and we all have our categories probably too. I'm sharing all this because I really just want you guys just to see how easy it is, how natural it is just to like sort and separate without even realizing it. You know, um, we don't realize it, we don't see it. In my own life, I've started to notice some things. I've started to see it in my own life and in the world around me. Um, you know, when you move away from a place like Madison and you go to a culture or a city or a country that's very different than your home and then you come back home, you just realize stuff about yourself. You know, you realize stuff about your home too that you just never saw before. And um, this winter, I've just started to notice some things in myself and in my world. Um, in Madison, I, uh, we don't have the luxury of like forced proximity, of being forced together like we experienced in New York. We have sort of the challenge of wide open spaces. And that makes it just really easy to gravitate towards people and places and things that are more comfortable for us. I started to notice it, especially this winter at youth basketball games. So uh, we did a lot of youth basketball games this winter. And what I noticed was when parents would come in, we'd crowd in around the court, it was fun, we'd see each other. And the parents who like looked like me and spoke the same languages as me, we tended to sit mid-court with each other, and we kind of laugh and cheer on for our kids and stuff like that. And maybe it's because we live in the upper Midwest, but the few parents who didn't look like me or didn't speak the same language as me, they tended to sit off to the side, sometimes at the end of the court. And even there is oftentimes space between us. And I don't think I would have noticed that had we not lived in a place where that didn't happen. You know, our kids, they played together. And um, we cheered for them together, but we rarely sat together and we really rarely talked together. And so I, this, uh, this winter, I tried a little experiment. I, um, tried, I made a decision that was unnatural and uncomfortable. And I decided I'm just gonna sit with the other parents. Uh, it was like a conscious choice I had to make so I'd walk in and walk past the parents I knew. I'm like, hey guys, hi guys. And I'd just keep walking, you know? And then I would sit down and it was uncomfortable. I know it was uncomfortable for them too because the first couple times I did this, they looked up like, uh, what are you doing here? You know? Uh, but we would sit down and we'd talk and I'd ask the really awkward question like, hey, which one's your kid? You know? And then they'd be like, which one's your kid? And we'd talk and we'd, it, we started to loosen up. And by the end of the season, our relationship was actually easy and fun. The cognitive fatigue of trying to come together across difference just started to drop away. And it was actually really great. 
Again, I tell you that, not, I mean, because like, it's so easy to separate. It takes a conscious, uncomfortable choice to move against our human nature and to come together. It's really easy to separate. It's not impossible, but it is really hard. It's really natural to separate. It's really, it is really difficult. Um, one thing that, uh, that I've seen in my own life and in my life around Madison lately is that doesn't just happen at youth basketball games, but it happens at lunchroom tables, it happens in neighborhoods, and it happens in friendships, and it happens at church too. You know, there's a, a very famous quote from Martin Luther King Jr. who says, the most segregated time in America is 11 a.m. on a Sunday. And that quote has always felt really sad to me. Shouldn't it be a surprise though? Because remember, the flesh is at war with the spirit. The spirit is working to bring us together and the flesh is working to pry us apart, to tear us apart. But y'all, if this were a wedding, at some point I would stand before you and I would say, but therefore what? God has joined together, let no man tear asunder, right? Because coming together, this isn't just a side project of the church. This is the church. We have been united in Christ. He has brought us together by his blood, by his death and resurrection. And Jesus has promised, he's promised that I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. This is what God is doing. He is building a community, a diverse and beautiful, unified community that will come together someday around him in heaven. And we are a part of a church that wants to take this seriously. We believe objectively that we've been brought together by Jesus. We believe that the final product of the church of God's community is that we will be unified together in heaven. And we believe that it's a matter of integrity, and discipleship unto Jesus to live in the beauty and the mess of our life in transit together from the cross to eternity. See, around here, we often call ourselves Christ followers, right? And that means in everything that we do, we wanna honor Jesus and we wanna follow him. So think about it. How has Jesus loved you? Jesus got proximate. He got close to us, right? He left heaven and he came to earth. Jesus um, was willing to humble himself, right? The God of the universe gave up his rights, his privileges, his preferences, the glory of heaven so he could live among us, right? His whole life, it wasn't just uncomfortable, it was suffering. Jesus was willing to be misunderstood. He was willing for people he loved to misunderstand him and reject him. Jesus didn't give up when things got difficult, right? His whole life was suffering living amongst us. And he was willing to hang in there and hang in there all the way until the cross, till he hung on a cross. 
And he was so committed to building this new kind of community that even as Jesus hung bleeding and Roman Gentile soldiers were literally killing him, Jesus extended forgiveness and grace to them. Jesus was willing to extend so much grace that even while blood flowed out of his body, forgiveness flowed out of his heart. And he looked and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's how Jesus has loved you. And that's how he's loved me. And that's how he calls us to love each other. This is an un- high calling to follow Christ. And it is an an unnaturally difficult task to do it. But remember, if you believe in Jesus, if you belong to him, you're not natural. You're not natural. You're super natural, right? Because the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And he has given you everything that you need for a godly life. That means there is nothing more natural, more final, more difficult to overcome than death. And God raised Christ from the dead. And now his spirit lives in you. So it doesn't matter how natural, how difficult, how long these things have been going on in our life, in our world, the spirit of God can build his church. If we will be people who will come together and actively participate and ask him, for help. This is something for all of us. We all have a part to play in it. This is a human thing. We all struggle with it. It's a church thing. And so if you're human and you're in church, then we all got a role to play, right? We all got a part to play for God to use us as we worked in the beauty and the mess to come together with this. And I don't have this all figured out. Listen, guys, I'm like, I'm, I'm obviously a, a white guy who grew up in Iowa. You know, like I, I don't have this all figured out. We're all in process. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to grow. We're all at different places along the way. You know, I know there are people in our community who live this out every day. They're here. You're here at Blackhawk and it would be easier for you to be in a different community group or at a different church. But you believe God wants to build this kind of community. And so you're here. I know there's people who've been working on this a lot longer than me and they know that it gets hard. It gets really complicated and messy. Our life in transit is messy. But for you, all you guys, I just want to say, don't grow weary in doing good. God is doing a thing. He's building a multicultural community. One day we'll get to experience it fully. Right now it's messy. I've sort of been trying to take some steps in my own life. I don't know what your next step will, what would be or could be, but for me, there's a couple things I've been doing. Um, you know, I, like I said, I'm trying to actively get close to be in proximity with people who are different than me since we've moved back. I'm trying to do that. Um, and uh, I also have tried to very intentionally start to learn and read, particularly like autobiographies and histories from people from different cultural contexts than my own, just to kind of learn and hear their voice. Um, I'm also practicing for heaven. So uh, often I have these Spotify playlists that I listen to oftentimes on a Sunday morning when I drive to church, I'm actually listening to Nigerian worship music. And so uh, there's some great worship music out there 
by our brothers and sisters around the planet that has just like enriched my life and moved my heart. Uh, and then I'm also, when I'm in places in Dane County where um, the sort of the diversity and the beauty of the world that's already around us, you just see it a little bit more. I'm trying to turn those experiences into sort of spiritual prayer experiences. And so literally I did this yesterday. Um, I was at Walmart on the West side. Maybe, you're, maybe when the next time you're at Woodman's on a Saturday, you'll do this too. But rather than just, you know, getting in a hurry, doing your thing, ask God to like help you see the beauty and the diversity, to see the image of God and the men and women who are around us every day in Dane County. I do that. And then I ask, I'm like, oh Lord, would you help um, my, me? Would you help my relationships? And would you help our church? look more like the community that's already around us and look more like the community that we will one day be when we get to heaven. It's just a spiritual exercise I do because we're all in process. We all got steps we're taking and none of us have arrived yet. As we move and work with the spirit to do this, you know, I, I think God will do cool things. I think our community around us will probably notice I also know that things will probably actually get harder before they get easier. And I said, I don't do this perfectly. I mess up all the time. Oh my gosh. A few years ago when I was in seminary, I really messed up. Uh, and I heard a friend. I had this, a friend in seminary, his name was Hector. He's just the best guy. Hector had a life that was very different than me. He um, was born in Central America and his story coming um, from Honduras and becoming an American citizen and coming to the States was so different than my life growing up in Iowa right? But we became friends. We logged way more than those 50 hours together that Pastor Tiffany told us you should log if you're actually going to become like close friends with somebody. And, uh, and we were good friends. And one day after class, after seminary, we were having a conversation about something heavy, like, oh my, uh, and tenuous, like um, the border and immigration. And uh, it was heavy. And so I thought, you know, I'll just make a little lighthearted joke to lighten the situation. And as soon as the words came out of my mouth, and as soon as I saw my friend's face fall, I knew it didn't feel lighthearted to him. You know that feeling of fear and embarrassment that wells up? I was like, oh. But Hector, rather than moving away from me, he decided to move towards me and get vulnerable. And he shared part of his story that I didn't know before. He shared that when his family first brought him to the States, they had left really unimaginable hardship in Honduras. And he first came without documentation. And he shared how scary that was to share that in a group of Christians at the time. That's how they might respond. My comment wasn't like mean-spirited, but it was really ignorant of my friend's lived experience. I don't know if Hector, if he even remembers that conversation, but I will never forget his words. Because he said, bro, Adam, I know you love me. This stuff just hurts sometimes. But I forgive you. I love you. You can let it go. Y'all, that's, um, that's not natural. 
That's the Holy Spirit. And I think that's the way of Jesus. And I don't share that story, so, you know, my brothers and sisters of color feel the pressure to teach all their white friends everything. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that I think there's a beauty. And when we are committed enough to each other in friendship and relationship, that we're willing to speak the truth, that we're willing to come together, that we're willing not to hide, that we're willing to actually love each other like Jesus loved us and experience grace and forgiveness together. I think that's the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't know where you're at in this process. But I want to ask you, just as we close, are you longing for that Revelation 7 kind of community? Does your heart want to follow Jesus on this? I know maybe your answer is no, honestly, to some of those questions, or I don't know. Or maybe it's yeah. But regardless of how you answer that, are you willing to ask the Holy Spirit to show up and to help you live this out in your life? My friend Linda used to say, Adam, it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay not to know what you're doing, but it's not okay to not ask for help. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is the helper. And he says, my father will give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks him. And so I think that means as a community, we need to be people who start actively asking for his help in this area, in our life and in our community. And so as we close, I wanna just pray for us. I wanna lead us in prayer, not just me pray. I wanna actually do what that little Jewish prayer group did at the beginning of the church. And I wanna just sort of pray a very simple prayer together to say, come Lord Jesus, come. And if you are willing to at least ask him for help, maybe you wanna like symbolically like flip your hands up in a posture to receive. You wanna close your eyes. And as I pray, would you just pray with me? And even after I close, the band is gonna pray and maybe you just wanna keep praying. Oh, Spirit, help me, Spirit, help us. And then when you're ready, you can stand and pray. But right now, let me pray for us to be the kind of community that Jesus prayed for us to be, that we would be on earth as we will one day be in heaven. So Father, thank you that you love us. You love, loved us enough that you would bring us your son. You would send your son to live and to die for us, to bring us together. Jesus, your grace towards us is larger than we could ever imagine. And God, we confess that we have often lived more in the power of our human nature than in the power of your spirit. And right now we just say, we're so sorry for the ways we have worked against you, the ways we have grieved you and grieved each other. And God, we just want to like, let that go. Even actively like breathe it out. Like, I confess it, it's there. It's yours, Jesus. And then God, we want to ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and would you fill us as your people? Would you come, Holy Spirit, come. You can just breathe in, maybe breathe in and realize the Spirit of God is in you and God is longing to fill you. He's longing to fill us, to breathe onto our community, the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come. 
make us into the dwelling place for God on the earth. Make us your church. We pray this in the name of Jesus. We pray it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come.